Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, Kate Blanchett on her new series, Mrs. America, and her comfort movie, Long Day's Journey into Night. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. So excited to be back with you and so excited to have two-time Oscar winner Kate Blanchett on the show for the very first time talking about not only her comfort movie, but a great new series on Hulu. Uh, it's a great conversation. I know you guys are going to enjoy. Also joining me today on the intro, uh, two-time Oscar winner herself. How many Oscars have you won, Sammy, again? Remind me. Uh, Eleven. Eleven Oscars. Well, you I don't have a like to talk yeah, about it, but you no. brought it up. No, that's fair. That's fair. They're all for your performance in in Loki, the After Hours. Uh... <laughs> it's all for different After Hours performances. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's nice Sorry. for you to mention it because you've always been salty that you were never even nominated or mentioned. But um, I appreciate the support. I'm above the awards thing, um, yeah. but I am excited that we have some um, awards glory in the personage of Kate Blanchett, who, as I said, has never been on the show before. She's always been on my list. It's just she's never like happened. She's like a real movie star. I know. I don't know what she's doing slumming on my silly little show. Oh, but my I'm, God. I'm thrilled it happened now, even in these weird circumstances. Of course, we didn't meet in person, but this was a conversation with Kate in her home in London. And I was telling you this before, Sammy. I want you all to visualize this. Kate Blanchett, not only talking to me through the wonders of modern technology, but talking to me through her teenage child's gaming headset. That was the only headset and microphone she had. So that is the image I want you to picture for the next 30 minutes as I chat with two-time Oscar winner, Kate Blanchett. I wonder if this was streaming on Twitch, too. (laughs) Yeah, we did a few TikToks at the end of this, too. (laughs) (laughs) So to contextualize a couple things to mention, um, we're talking a little bit uh, towards the end about this great new miniseries she's in called Mrs. America, in which uh, Kate plays Phyllis Schlafly, who is this conservative thought leader through the 70s, 80s, 90s, up until her death in in recent years. Um, And this series is fantastic. It stars... Kate and Rose Byrne and Margot Martindale and Melanie Linsky and Sarah Paulson. Basically all the cool actresses today are in this. Yeah, um, all the good ones. All the good ones and um, all the best ones. And they're fantastic. And, and it's truly like a, a document, a story of this fan, fascinating time in the 70s when um, these women kind of came to blows over the Equal Rights Amendment. And it's it's a story that I, I knew kind of like the broad strokes of, but to see the intricacies of it and to see these uh, character portraits and in, in, uh, being done by the, the best actors alive uh, was fascinating. So I highly recommend this series. It's on Hulu, on FX. Uh, check it out. It's called Mrs. America. Can and you share these started. with me? No. It can... really pisses me off that you get to watch all of these good things, and I'm, I have to watch it with the rest of the world. And then when okay. I try to First talk to, all... the, to you about mm-hmm. them, you're like, oh, I watched it three months ago. I'm already on to next year's Oscar movies. You turned nice. me on to something that I haven't hadn't seen. I hadn't seen Unorthodox, and you told me to watch that. Yes, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> You're so easily distracted. It's so, I can turn you so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> you did something good. Oh, tell me. 
<laughs> yes, I'm halfway through Unorthodox. This is Sammy Heller's pick of the week, four episodes on Netflix. Uh, and it's kind of fascinating. It's pretty good. It is. And you know what I'm going to say? I told you this. Yeah. Or, uh, I, everyone should watch this series because it's a look into a world that not many people know about that I certainly don't know about. And it, um, the, uh, they do a making of like a 22 minute making of unorthodox on Netflix. That is amazing. It just is shows costume designers and production designers and, and people who are so creative and talented in how they made this world real. And it's, it's what's great. The, what, what's the most important behind-the-scenes thing that you learned? <laughs> that a lot of those guys without their big beards and yarmulkes on are hunks. <laughs> there are very hot men in this series, and you get to see them without all their costumes and makeup on. And then you can look them up on Instagram. And it's like it, it got me through like four days of the pandemic is stalking these uh, German and... Yiddish speaking hunks. <laughs> Do you think we should release the 22 minute uh, behind the scenes of the making of How Do Say Confused? Yeah, this one would be of, long. This one would just be basically be about how we recorded the intro before <laughs> and I fucked it up. This one would be really long because uh, you've had about an hour of technical difficulties now. <sighs> Look, so if we I don't just... sound so enthused right now, it's because we've this already had this take. conversation. <laughs> This is all scripted. Um, okay, a couple of other quick notes. Kate Blanchett, of course, we're now changing the focus of Happy Sad Confused to make it about comfort movies. So the big conversation in this one is about her comfort movie. And unlike the recent episodes where we did things like Hook and Clue, these films that I think all of us collectively loved as kids, Kate kind of went highbrow and chose something from the last couple of years. It's Classic a Chinese Kate. film. Classy Kate. I would expect nothing less. This film is called Long Day's Journey Into Night. If you have not checked it out, as I hadn't before Kate recommended it, I highly recommend it. It's available on various streaming platforms. You can look it up. I think I watched it actually on YouTube. I I made the big purchase. Um, And it's a, a gorgeous movie. The movie, it's really less about plot and more about mood and the visuals. The movie ends, the last hour of the movie is one continuous shot. It's wow. amazing. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it's like 1917 where they stitch things together. It might be real. I don't even know. I was going to say, eat that, 1917. Seriously, it's a throwdown. So, um, <laughs> so that's, that's the big conversation with Kate. And it's fascinating to hear an actor that I respect so much talk about a movie that moved her so much. So, Did you feel was, stupid uh, always. asking her, <laughs> uh, do you like Sleepless in Seattle or you've got mail better? <laughs> Did did you like um, uh, Pitch Black or, or, Rid- or the Chronicles of Riddick Moore? Uh, <laughs> I wonder if she's ever met Vin Diesel. Oh, <laughs> my God. That should be a question you ask everyone on your I podcast. Should, that, that's gonna be first my things first, have you met Vin? <laughs> um, okay. Well, anyway, that's the main event today. Check it out. Uh, this is my conversation with Kate Blanchett. Yes, talking to her in London on a headset. Oh, and here's my other note. Technical difficulties. Speaking of technical difficulties, I lost my connection with Kate literally no less than eight times. So there might be some kind of audio stitching here. I'm going to do the best I can in the edit to make it as seamless as possible. I might interject and say, oh, we're back, whatever. But bear with us. It's Kate Blanchett, guys. Two-time Oscar winner. You take what you can get, right? Worth it, uh, yeah. <laughs> here's my chat with Kate Blanchett.
uh, I just want to say this is not the way I, I necessarily wanted Kate Blanchett to join the Happy Sad Confused podcast, but I will take what I can get under these extraordinary circumstances. Uh, Kate, thank you so much for spending a little time today. To oh, thank you for distracting me from the world around me. Yeah, that's that's what we're all, I think, experiencing, right? Like trying to focus on any kind of work, any kind of outside distractions, any kind of entertainment. So, um, Look, I think I think that's the word, isn't it? You just said trying, like trying to think, trying to read, trying to be present, trying not to worry, trying to plan. You know, yeah, it's um, yeah, but also you know, just having to practice kindness. I think. Exactly, exactly. There, there's some, I keep saying there's some small silver linings in this horrific situation that we're seeing. Like, I'm, I'm here in New York, and like, you know, every night at I 7 imagine. o'clock, we're hearing like everybody just clap for the healthcare workers and rally around them. And it's that's, that's a, it. Yeah. They're our gods. Truly. Um, you're, I, I assume you're back home in Australia. How are, are you guys on lockdown over there? Or are you? No, 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 no. I'm, um, we live in England. Oh, I didn't so, realize. Okay. Yes. So some of my extended families are over there and it's, you know, like everybody, it's hard to be separated from people at the moment, but no, we're, we're in the UK. So um, in terms of distractions right now, um, who is controlling the remote in the Blanchett household? Are you all well, me, for it? Well, really? me, actually... Actually, no, no. We've, fortunately, my, um, you know, my, my son is a, um, a cinephile, so he has great taste. So we watched my comfort movie, actually, the other oh, night. Oh, nice. But, um, yeah, but, um, which he actually put me on to. But, no, 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 I've, I've, I've actually completely commandeered all of the devices. I've actually got my son's um, PlayStation headset on right now. Uh, I've stolen it. So <laughs> they're outside playing football. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, so I, as people that listen to the podcast know, in recent weeks, I've sort of converted this podcast into talking about comfort movies, movies that can give us, you know, these brief distractions as we were just talking about. Um, and I was really intrigued when I heard your comfort movie. This is actually the first of the ones that we've done that I sadly had not seen. I'd heard all about it. I'd heard the great word on the street about this. Um, Kate, would you reveal what your comfort movie is and, and, and I guess why you chose it in brief? Well, it's it began's uh, film Long Day's Journey in Tonight. And I, for, for me, I mean, I'm a huge Tarkovsky fan and an enormous fan of Chantal Ackerman and Wong Kar Wai. And it's like he ingested all of that, that those filmmaking uh, reference points and then regurgitated up something of exquisite, uh, painful beauty that, you know, it's so complex and layered and uh, engrossing. You know, it's about love and memory and time, which I think we're all thinking about at the moment, and place, which we're all thinking about at the moment. But it's strangely meditative and yes. um, obviously dreamlike and profoundly relaxing. So, and so I, it's one of those films, that, even though it's relatively recent, because um, I was thinking, oh, well, you know, should, would I say Stalker? But then I thought, no, no, it's this one, because it sort of contains all of those things, I think. Yeah, and I, I, I was I, I really enjoyed watching it for the first time last last evening, and it is a, a film you can really find yourself immersed in, um, mm. it, particularly in the second half, which we can get into, which is this, this amazing spectacle and this really um, extraordinary bit of filmmaking. Um, where did you first encounter this? Am I, am I right in that you were you were at Cannes when this film premiered? Was this when you were yes. the jury president? Yes, yes. So, of course, I was in the, the main uh, competition, which is, um, you know, t- t- 24-7 immersing yourself in, in just those films. And so I, I obviously kept abreast of what was in a certain regard, but um, it was out of can that I, that I heard about it. Absolutely. And for me, it's such, such a synthesis of my 
um, you know, love of uh, theatre, you know, being present in those long, slow takes often that, that, that are about, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it deals with prismatic meaning. And I often think that, you know, film can be, it's, you know, I've always been, it sometimes can be such a literal medium. But, but when you encounter a film like this, you realise that it doesn't, it doesn't have to exist on that. It's, you're saying that you watched it, but I actually allow it to wash over me. And I think because we're so obsessed in the, in, the, you know, in the world in which we live where everything has to make sense. Right. And we, we, we grasp hold of a narrative and it just doesn't allow you to... It takes away all of those um, security footholds. Um, and so, yeah, it, it really slows your blood. But that's where I heard about it, yeah. I, I do think it is one of those things where, yes, the more you you allow yourself to give yourself to the film and not sort of like, as you say, like as the film started, I was I thought it was one thing. Um, mm. You know, it's a film noir that sort of seems like a really an intriguing. It almost starts like a, a typical, not typical, but like any great film noir with a great mystery. Uh, you know, it doesn't get any more mysterious and noir than like a mysterious um, phone number hidden on in a photograph. <laughs> um, well, yes, and you think it's going to go there, right? But then it it, it steps completely sideways and then falls down this rabbit hole um so yeah it it, it reminded me of a, a bit i mean you talk about i mean it's a little lynchian in a way a little david lynchian i think of his films that aren't necessarily um you know if you adhere to the plot great that works but it's really about the experience and about um some more existential um pleasures that you can derive from it than necessarily describing a plot yeah, it's so much about um, memory and and um, and current time. It's, it's so layered and in, interwoven. But it's like in the way that Lynch provides you with those um, sort of signifiers, where you know you say, "Oh, I'm, I can sit comfortably. I know what period of time I'm in." And then all of a sudden, you're in. An, you see an analog telephone, and you and so he's constantly playing with your with your um, you sort of your sense of your comfort levels with even knowing on a base level in what room you're existing right. or in what, you know, there can be parallel time frames. It's like, you know, the wonderful writings of Jeanette Winterson where she can literally have parallel realities, um, you know, cohabiting. And so that's, you, re, you know, if you watch this two, three, four, five times, each time you get something, you're confronted with the limitations of your own imagination, I think, in in a lot of ways, which sure. I've... Um, so it's it's like I guess I took it on my bookshelf and I still haven't read it and maybe as you say that's one opportunity to try and read it now. But if if you my husband's always said to me if you read Proust you can actually ingest in a, in a far deeper way so many other uh, writers because your brain has been exercised to such a degree that you're capable of being a, a far better reader. And right. I feel in a way by watching Began's films you you do become a better viewer. A more adept yeah. viewer. Yeah, yeah. I, I Not wanna, that it's an education. I mean, uh, well, you know, well, betide that the film is ever an education. It's 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 a very different experience. But I mean, that is one. I had that experience one time. I watched it. So, uh, some informational stuff for for the folks that are listening at, at home. I mean, thankfully, as with most uh, films nowadays, you're able to watch it in the comfort of your home. It's available on, on YouTube and Amazon Prime. Uh, I'm going to read the, the like the official summary, which again doesn't really necessarily. Um, oh, sorry, I went straight to the existential. I didn't no, no, no. But that's really the most important part. It's, but I think it's better to orient our audience. Don't go in for the plot. Go in for the experience. Mm. But um, from a plot perspective, and I'm going to butcher some of the names. So I apologize in advance. Uh, the film chronicles the return of Lao. 
Hongwu to Kali, the hometown from which he fled many years before. Back for his father's funeral, Rao recalls the death of an old friend, Wildcat, and searches for his lost love, who continues to haunt him. Um, I do also want, so we can't not mention the fact that this film takes an amazing turn in the second half. Um, Yes. The final hour, 59 minutes, I think, technically speaking, is one seemingly continuous shot. Um, yeah, I think it's about it's about forty minutes or so. Is it? From what I've read, I didn't. I, think, I lost track of time. I couldn't tell you how long it was, but it was long. <laughs> it, it, is, it is epic. It, yes, it makes Birdman look like a, a child's uh, a trifle. Um, yes. Well, no, but, well, not that it is, but yes. No, it's not not at all. But but um, and I don't know if he he really did this or there there are masks. Uh, you know, if he's covering cuts or what. But um, if you're watching this in a theater, uh, I guess the the main character puts on 3D glasses, and then yes, the audience member yes. actually put the, the the second half is shot in in 3D. When the film begins, exactly. quote unquote, yeah. exactly. So, have you? I'm just curious. Like, I, I was growing up, I was always a sucker for these kind of really immersive long shots. I mean, I I grew up watching Brian De Palma, who really loved these sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in recent years, you know, we've obviously seen some, some really interesting um, approaches using this technique, whether it's 1917 or Birdman and et cetera. Um, have you been, have you shot any, any, any of these kind of extended, really long takes? And are the, do those kind of tap into those, that theater blood, those theater instincts? Well, well I've worked with David Fincher, so I've, <laughs> I've been around the kind of 90-odd takers. Right. Um, yeah, no, that was when we made Benjamin Button. Um, that was one of the first films, I think, to be made on digital. So I, and it's, this is probably not answering your question, but, um, but I, it was such a, having worked on film, primarily. It was so, um, I, I felt like I was learning to walk again because I, I, I realized how much I'd gotten used to the one, two take rhythm where you then cut, you reload, you know, they check the gate and then you, you talk and then you go in for another take and then right. you just go on to these rolling takes. So that for me was, I suppose, the closest I've got to that um, experience. And, and frankly, working in digital often does feel like not that you're necessarily doing a four-minute long uh, shot like like this is, which is extraordinary. Right. You mentioned uh, the director, the filmmaker, Vigan. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes, um, I think so. He's remarkably, this was his second feature. <laughs> he was, I know. I, I think he was 27 or 28 when he made he's this. He's 12. I mean, he's probably I mean, come 12. on. Um, yeah, child genius. <laughs> you, you for, I mean, it strikes me. I mean, I look at your filmography and, and you, like many wise actors who have the opportunity, um, it seems like you pick by filmmaker. It seems like you, you know, whether it's Haynes, Soderbergh, Fincher, Malick, I mean, Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. Spielberg, it's it literally, you're like going down like the ultimate list of great filmmakers to work with. Most of them had been pretty established, um, if not masters, by the time you worked with them. Is it, is it scary for you as an actor to to take a risk, to go to somebody that's starting out a little bit more in their career? Like, what are you looking for? What's the confidence level going into someone that has a little less experience? It's always, it's always about the conversation um, in, in, in the end. And I'm, I don't know if I'm necessarily drawn to a, a particular genre. It's more about being ambushed by the ask. And so when Todd comes to you and says, you know, do you want to play Bob Dylan? You say, well, of course, because that's just <laughs> the craziest thing that I've ever been asked to do. Totally. No. Um, and also, likewise, when um, uh, Inritu said, you know, did I want to be in Babel? And it's a very sort of small, contained part of 
the, the, the film. The size of the role is not the important thing. It's, it's being part of that, that conversation. Um, and I think there's probably the, the downside of the more you do is the people think the less you're up for a risk. Right. When, which is actually sort of contrary to that. But for me, I think the, the most exciting thing is ping-ponging between, um, not only between those conversations, but between mediums. And so I, I always like to move between theatre and film. Sure. Um, and perhaps that's why, you know, I like B. Gans film so much, is that, you, you know, you sense that you, you're with those people in that time and that is what has been caught. Well, um, even when, when you mention, I mean, even pertaining to your film career, I mean, you're, even if you're working with these established kind of like greats, it's like the good German is a risk. Um, anything with Fincher oh, totally. is, is a risk. Malik is always, you must feel like you're on the edge of something. So these are, I mean, doing mocap, you've, you know, you're clearly somebody that's looking for a challenge and not safe uh, because who would want that? I mean, well, to- yes. And it's, and it's also, um, you, you can't, you can't, um, you, you can't legislate or, or, or preordain what's going to work and not work. So everything right. in the end is an experiment. I mean, you can feel whether the conversation is dead. And it's, it's always when things, when you go into production, and I've probably realised this a little too late in my career, but if you go into production and everything's sewn up, um, right. then you think, oh, there's no reason to make this. Right. It's, like it's, always those, it's, it's always those sort of... Um, the novels with the holes in them and the flaws in them that, that in a way can, are most ripe for um, translation to the or adaptation to the to the filmic um, medium because there's there's room to turn it into a film, right? You know, or if someone is inspired by a great novel but is inspired by a passage on page 127 and that's all they want to concern themselves with, then you know that you've got that person has a directorial eye and a very personal reason for making the film. And so it's always a privilege to be part of that, that very personal journey with a director, I think. Uh, I'd love if, if you'll allow me to move a little bit into your latest project, which um, I was just telling you before, Mrs. America is this new limited series. It's a nine-part series, FX on Hulu. Um, you know, I did, as, as we all do nowadays, I binged it. I watched all nine episodes in the last <laughs> two days, and it was, uh, it was fascinating. Oh, Lord. I'm no, very it, sorry. The, don't be sorry. This was, again, a great escape. Um, this is a topic I'm very much interested in, but also to see this, um, I mean, amazing rogues gallery of great actors you've assembled here playing these icons. Um, you, of course, play uh, Phyllis Schlafly. Um, I mean, I, so for, just to contextualize, you know, my and maybe the audience's um, understanding, and I'm curious, like, what your knowledge of these people were. I mean, we obviously have Gloria Steinem, who everybody knows. Betty Friedan, I knew. Bella Abzug, I'm a New Yorker, so I kind of knew her a little bit. Schlafly, I kind of vaguely knew. This is about the, the liberation, women's liberation movement of the 70s, the fight for the ERA, the fight against the ERA. What did that movement, what did that era mean to you, um, not necessarily growing up uh, in this environment, um, as a kid, as a teenager, what was your understanding of this? Well, speaking of surprises, um, I thought I understood uh, the main um, players in the second wave feminism and women's liberation movement. I had no idea of the equal and opposite traditional women's movement and uh, its uh, self-appointed leader, Phyllis Schlafly. I the first I knew about her was when she, this little old lady was trucked out to endorse Trump. And then all of a sudden he was going to her funeral. And, uh, and so I was really ambushed by, um, by that 
part of the story and really excited by Darby Waller's pitch that we look at the, um, what was the social revolution of the 70s and the ensuing culture wars through, start looking at that through the prism of the traditional women's movement, the homemakers, who felt very marginalised by the women's movement. And I think that's what I didn't realise being, you know, identifying as a feminist in the kind of late 80s, is that the women's movement then was establishment and it was Phyllis with her two failed bids for Congress behind her and just a handful of supporters who were really on the outside. This this, uh, series comes, uh, you've executive produced this series, this comes Mm -hmm. um, after the 2016 election here where... You know, here in the States, we saw a lot of misogyny. We have a misogynist president. Oh, it's not only in your country. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I just, it's, it feels very close to home here. I can, I understand. It's a virus I, of a different kind. This is true, sadly. Um, did that inform uh, the reason to do this? Did this make this all the more timely for you? Um, oh, d- definitely, definitely. I mean, there's no, there's no reason to go back um, in time and tell a story unless it illuminates in the time in which you're living. And we are living in, in, a, in a backlash right now. I mean, I thought I was living in a backlash in the, the late 80s and early, early 90s, but we certainly are now. And in a way, the series, I mean, what unfolds in, in, in Mrs. America and the central plot line is really the fight over the Equal Rights Amendment. But the very fact that every single day through the process of developing it and then subsequently shooting it, all of these, um, what we thought were uh, period concerns of, you know, the the, the abortion, abortion um, uh, you know, uh, debate and, you know, the fetal heartbeat ruling came, came up. Virginia has just ratified the Equal Rights Amendment, making the 38th state to do so. So technically, the Equal Rights Amendment could be passed. The very fact that we're still, the notion of equality is still a politicised uh, notion is astonishing. You sort of, it felt like Groundhog Day. And mm-hmm. so it felt, it felt increasingly um, relevant and important to, to, to make it. Not to mention... To have a nuanced discussion about it, I guess. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. And not to even mention that there are all these, like, random kind of moments that really resonated in different ways. I mean, there's a scene where you're debating on a television show and it's clear, like, the person calls you out for not really having any actual facts. They're just sort of spouting off and it's like, it's a, it's, 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 positively Trumpian way of debating. <laughs> that is his modus operandi, is to just bravado and just an attitude rather than actual uh, facts. So it, it, Yes, it's, well, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's the way, I suppose it's the way a lawyer can think about precedent, is if you actually say, listen to what Phyllis is saying, she's, and, and, the whole, and her whole criticism of, of the equal, or fear of the Equal Rights Amendment, and she did really galvanise a whole um, group of women's, fear, is that she was talking about it, uh, the, this amendment as being a literal, she analysed it literally. So therefore, if, in, if men and women are, are we saying that they're the equal, we're saying that they're the same. Right. And if they're the same, then we have to have the same expectations on them physically. So therefore, they're going to be drafted into the military, our military's already denuded, therefore the communists are going to take over. This is a communist plot. Now somewhere along that chain of, of, um, of argument, there is a logic. It's just that I suppose the feminists were thinking entirely differently, and this is where I, you know, I, I do empathise with them, is that they were talking about the, the notion of equality as being embedded into the Constitution, which is an inspirational document from which literal laws get made. But it was stopped at the gate by, 
by, um, I suppose, the, how pedantic Phyllis was, and so that she was able to then keep pushing and pushing. Uh, for those listening, we've had some bumps and, and, and bruises along the way because we're struggling with the connection, but I, I, I appreciate your patience. No, Kate. no, I've been, no, just be honest, Josh. I've been waffling. You've been vaguely falling asleep, and then you've been, you've been hitting the, the cutoff button. No. And it's you've not been, been hanging really- up on me over and over. You're like, screw this. Oh, and she just did it again, guys. <laughs> oh, my God. That was, per- that was perfect timing, Kate. Uh, it, it, that was perfect. It, that was perfect. <laughs> okay. So, Kate Blanchett, thank you so much for your time. I hope to actually meet you in person in New York one of these days when times are a little better Likewise. for all of us. Yes, um, yes, and stay safe and well. You too. Congratulations, in all honesty. This is a great piece of work and a worthy piece of work to check out next month. Or actually, by the time you hear this, it's probably out on Hulu. Uh, Mrs. America, nine parts. Like I said, um, it is educational but entertaining and fascinating and as always of course you deliver david and goliath that's what yeah <laughs> yes and you deliver an exceptional performance alongside oh, uh, martindale sarah cast. paulson i mean it's it's it goes on and on so yeah, it's a gift. um thank you again kate for your time today. okay thank you stay well and so ends another edition of happy sad confused Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>